Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hi, welcome to episode eight of the MC Lars podcast. It's your host, MC Lars, back with a fantastic interview. This week, we are talking to my friend Mega Ran, who I'm currently on tour with. We are playing St. Louis tonight, and uh, our tour wraps up tomorrow in Oklahoma City. But we did about two and a half weeks together this year on tour with MC Frontalot and Schaefer the Dark Lord, who I interviewed earlier. And I wanted to say a lot of people were coming up to me at the shows saying the password, hashtag stealing fire. And um, I also want to say that the offer extends into my November shows with I Fight Dragons. We'll be on the East Coast. We'll be in Cleveland on November 9th, then Pittsburgh on November 10th, Saturday. Then Sunday we'll be in Rochester, the November 11th. Tuesday the 13th we'll be in Boston. Wednesday the 14th in Teaneck, New Jersey the 15th in Brooklyn, the 16th in Philadelphia, the 17th in Baltimore, and then I'll play uh, Jam and Java in the D.C. area. I also wanted to give a shout-out to my Patreon supporters, some of my new supporters. Thank you for joining. Shout-out to Keith and Loretta, Every Show Joe, who goes to Mad Shows, Kenny McBroom, and, of course, some of my older supporters. Shout-out to Mark, Kenny, Molly, and Brandon. Thank you all. We've got the... Chronicles of Narnia dropping right now, and uh, that's you know that's just what's up on the Patreon. But with, let's get into it. Without much further ado, this is my interview with Megaran, and it's very interesting because on this episode, Megaran and I talk about his origins. We talk about kind of how we met. We talk about the bigger things surrounding his music that a lot of you may not know about, like his background, his upbringing, how he switched from being a teacher to being a rapper, and I we kind of piece together the moments that brought him to where he is currently. And we we kind of talk about how we met and started working together. And we debut some new flavor from our new record, which is coming very soon. The Kickstarter supporters will get in a week or so, and um, everyone else will get later this year. So this is my interview with the legendary Mega Rand. If you like it, please leave a comment or a review or tell a friend. And uh, thank you all. Check it out. From a hotel room in Tucson, Arizona, I'm here with one of my favorite people in the world. You know his work. I've been uh, pushing him for years, touring with him for years, working with him for years. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up to teacher rapper hero, Mega Ran. Hey, what's going on, Lars? We're back in your your home state. Yes, yes. Not too far from Phoenix. And we are, um, we've been rolling on this tour. So, um. It's good to be sitting still, but also good to be in Arizona and the not so hot part. <laughs> and it's been like Im- incredible getting out of the sweltering heat of Texas. Indeed. We've been through hot Texas, then to cold and rainy New Mexico. And uh, who knows what Arizona has for us? We'll see. You're not from Arizona originally, are you? No, no. I'm from Philadelphia. Born and raised. Not West Philadelphia, but um, a place called West Oak Lane, which is in the north side of Philadelphia, where I spent all my life until 2006. So what was a series of events that like let t- took you from, I want to talk about your origin, your origin story, which mm. you talk about in your songs. Um, Hip hop video games have always been a part of my life. One of them or both of them have always been there for as long as I can remember. And um, I think I started writing rhymes in maybe eighth grade just kind of hanging out uh, to age myself. Uh, I was around like 92, 93, 94, which a lot of people consider like a 
second golden age of hip hop, you know, after 88, where you had Snoop Dogg, you had Wu-Tang Clan, you had Tribe Called Quest. You had so many different things happening at the same time um, where you still had guys like Public Enemy hanging on, but maybe like toward the end of of their hold on on mainstream music and uh, leaning towards a different type of sound. Uh, so I, I just got caught up in the in the moment and the madness and I just wanted to be a part of it. So we just all sat down and started writing rhymes, trying to be like Biggie, trying to be like uh, Jay-Z or Gangstar or Q-Tip, you know? And uh, so we just started writing rhymes and um, it was a lot of fun, but we didn't have any way to, to record them or produce them. So I later I got a, I was the first kid on the block to get a four track recorder and I would have some of the, the friends come over and we'd all just start recording, rapping over instrumentals on cassette. And um, fast forward a little bit, well, a lot of it after I went away to college uh, and came back to Philadelphia to work and do some other things, I was just kept up with the music, was uh, making beats on uh, on PlayStation at that time with a music generator. Um, well, you mentioned that in our Nerdcore Died song. What what? Was that program like? Because I've never used it. Oh man, it was pretty dope. Honestly, um, at its core level, it was pretty basic. But um, the stuff you could do with it made it so outstanding. Uh, you could sample. You get about maybe fifteen seconds of sample time in it. So that opened up your palette of possibilities to mm-hmm. near limitless. Because I could then sample Dr. Dre's drums, or then I could sample. The same thing that Q-Tip sampled on the Tribe record and then try to make beats out of that. Could you trim the sample, though? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. It was so cool that uh, Music Generator by MTV came out um, sometime in the late 90s, maybe 99, 2000. And you would literally put the disc into the PlayStation and then hit sample and then eject and take the disc out, Uh. pop in a new disc, close it, hit play, and then go through the track, find the moment you want, hit record. And man, like it was it was so precise and you could just take little pieces or long stretches of a song. And um, so I then started going to the library every day and just picking up CDs. <laughs> you know, my mom's like, oh, you going to the library a lot. I'm like, yeah, I know. Just, uh, you know, just trying to get my learn on. <laughs> and uh, and I would just grab CDs, everything I could find from gospel to classical to, you know, rock to anything. And then I would just start messing around with samples. And um, classical was where I found my first bit of uh, influence. It's going through that. And um, I, I love the melodies, but I also love the fact that there weren't a bunch of hard drums that I had to like filter out or sample out or voices and things like that. So uh, so my first few beats were made sampling classical records. How did it work with the tempo? Would you give it a tempo or was it kind of like you just layered these blocks? Like, Well, you layer the blocks, you set your tempo, but you could also time stretch, you mm-hmm. know, as you got into it a little more. Um, it wasn't perfect, but you could slow down any melody or any rhythm. So if you're going, you know what I mean? You you then have, you could, you could pitch it downward. So if you, you know what I mean? So I, I couldn't do anything else with it, but I could at least pitch it down and then make it try to work in with a beat. And, um, and so, yeah, I just, I messed with it for probably a whole summer at least. Wow. And um, I started making beats. And uh, this was around the time, early 2000s. I think Kanye West was was kind of beginning his start. And um, so my friends called me Kanye East 
because I was, you know, I was on the East Coast and I was making beats and um and so yeah, I was I was Kanye East and I started doing once that um I guess they called it chipmunk soul style of sampling yeah. came. Like through was, the wire. Yeah, yeah. Like sampling soul records, but keeping the vocals in, speeding them up. And uh so I started doing that. And my mom would come in and hear what I was doing, and she's like, Boy, you're gonna get sued if you keep doing that. Like, that's not your music, that's the music I grew up listening to. What right. do you know about that? You know? And uh so I just started messing around with it. And then later, um, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was working at a video game store when I picked up the generator game, and uh and we sold uh video game soundtracks at the store. Ah. So that's when it happened for like me. Like CDs? Yeah, we yeah. sold CDs. It was Final Fantasy, uh, you know, Mega Man, all the stuff that I was into. We sold the soundtrack CDs, and I would be like buying them and then ripping them and then sampling them. And that and was returning them or no? Keep reading. Hmm, I would keep them. Most yeah, times. yeah, yeah. I keep them. That's cool. And uh, I was pretty junky with this stuff, so I would just leave stacks of CDs just kind of hanging without like cases and stuff. And um, so there's no way I could take them back because they were all scratched or something. But yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, I started making those beats, and this was early 2000s, you know, way before I had ever done like Mega Ran or anything. It was just like the beginnings of taking those things that I loved and just putting them together, you know? So you, how would you do your vocals on the four track? Yeah. yeah. So I would lay vocals on a four track. Um, it had a cassette on it. And uh, so yeah, I would just hit record and just usually sit down in my bedroom, like on my bed, and just rap my vocals and then um, go in, record doubles on top of them with the with the four track, and then next thing you know, I had a demo tape, and um, and then I bought a Philips CD burner, a CDR burner, and then real time I would burn the songs onto CD, and then I'd burn the beats onto CD. So I have like my beat tapes that I yeah. would hand out to people, but it took it, again it was in real time, so if it was a thirty minute tape, it took me thirty minutes to burn each one, so that was uh, pretty annoying. And then if it came out bad, like I had to go get a whole new CDR and do it again. And I was limited by the PlayStation's memory because if I started sampling a lot, you couldn't save it on the memory card. Ah, Not like a PC where I could right. just save it, you know, and I had the hard drive space. The I think the memory cards are eight megabytes. Jeez. So once you take 10 seconds of a, you know, a Mozart piece, you're, you're done. So now when it's trying to save, it says unable to save. So what I have to do now is delete the sample mm-hmm. and then save the, the beat without the sample in it and uh, just kind of hope for the best. So then I would try to find it again later or record it onto the CD and I would be stuck with a two track of the beat. Could you save um, these beats you're working on, on like in, within the PlayStation or did not really like? Not with samples, but if right. they didn't have samples, I could. Um, but you couldn't make anything good without samples because the stock sounds were terrible. Could you do like bass lines and yeah. keyboard parts? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, same thing, like they had an on-screen keyboard, yeah, and uh, so you could sample a bass note from somewhere else because you couldn't use what was built in. Like it just sounded bad, yeah. You know what I mean? So I could sample just one little note from someone, boop, and then just bring that in, and then boop, 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 you know, mess with it on a scale, and um, and that's how I made my beats. And uh, guys would ask me like, "Hey, what do you what do you make this beat with?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh, you know, I use a couple programs. I, you know, I'm just." experimenting you know and like i never told him it was on playstation i thought they would like laugh me out of the room you know but then fast forward like fruity loops became a thing and fruity loops was just yeah. basically this same system and, and, and interface just kind of ramped up to the next level so um so a lot of producers got their start on it when i started talking to people they were like yo i was on the generator too like it was pretty crazy like dizzy rascal the boy in the corner record 
I remember he did most he made of those that beats. Whole on thing it. on there. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And it's that's what's interesting to me is like my understanding love of hip hop has always been it's about like this idea of circumlocution, mm. speaking around something in a way that transcends its limitations, mm. which then forces you to be more creative. Yep. And and so you were one of the first rappers like to 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 sample and rap over video game beats that I could that I'd ever heard of in my life. Well, I mean, in my life. Uh, first I had heard was uh, the Coco Brothers, uh, Super Brooklyn. Super Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, so when I heard that Brooklyn where we live at, I was just like, "What? This is crazy!" And the Coco Brothers were like a hardcore New York rap group. And it's part. It was Smith and Wesson, right? Mm-hmm. They used yeah. to be called Smith and Wesson. Yeah. They named after a gun for crying out loud. <laughs> so these were tough guys rapping over video game beat and like killing it. So that's what kind of showed me it could be done. Then later on. Uh, I always give props to Whitey Cracker for the NES album, Nerd Rap Entertainment System. It was the first time I'd heard it throughout an entire album yeah. where he took different video game beats and rhymed on them. And it was a song, Mega Nerd, which like instantly made my ears prick up because, right. you know, it's Mega Man 3. It's a very classic tune. And, um, and he's killing it, just talking about living a nerd life. And, uh, and I think Super Brooklyn and Mega Nerd are kind of what made Mega Ran work for me. Because I knew that it wouldn't, I could do it and it wouldn't be corny. Like there was an example of it not being corny. Yeah. So I knew that it could be done. So <laughs> so the bar had been raised. Absolutely. So you called yourself random for a minute, right? I so, did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for a long time, I had a hard time coming up with a name in the beginning. Um, I was always a big fan of Rakim, and my name is Raheem. It sounded close to it, but uh, but I didn't think Raheem was a cool name. So uh, I went with the R which was a shortening of something that Rakim would occasionally refer to himself as too. So then that was rated R. Mm. And then I'm like, well, that doesn't really fit. I'm not <laughs> rated R. And then um, Random came from an X-Factor comic book, a Marvel Comics character who was able to shapeshift. And I was like, oh, Random. Like this dude can change into anything to fit the situation. And that's how I wanted to be as an MC. So I was like, Random, that's the name. And uh, yeah, so I was Random from, gosh, 2000 three till about 2010 and uh, I think at that point it just got a little confusing for me and for people who were trying to find me um, after the mega ran thing had kind of taken off and random being a hard word to google you know what I mean like it's just it's just the word random how do you google random rapper you're going to get a random rapper so I'm happy to say now that if you google random rapper you get me so that's dope (laughs) that's dope but in the beginning, it wasn't. You just it was yeah. the random rapper. So, um, I was trying to increase the Google ability of of myself and just being able to be found easier. During all this time, you got your teaching degree and you were teaching and right, like yeah. that was kind of your day job, as I understand it, right? Yeah, yeah. I worked with uh, Teach Philadelphia, which was a subsidiary of Teach for America. And um, when I graduated, um, I went straight into uh, middle school in Philadelphia and taught. So it was rough, definitely challenging. But at the same time, at night, I was writing rhymes. I was making beats, going to the studio, and uh, just trying to figure out what I really wanted to do. And then I ran into some guys and some producers in Philly who were able to really help me with my sound and uh, help me create my first record, which was The Call, in 2006. And um, that was kind of a whirlwind year for me. Like It was the year that I finally figured out what I was doing, but I also felt more... Uh, kind of alone than I'd ever did. Mm. So I was working and creating and I I put together an album that I thought was really good. 
uh, but I knew that it was to, to be received. I had to travel with it. I had to put it out there, you know, and I wasn't around a lot of people who knew about how to get, get an album out besides, you know, another means rather than just playing shows in Philadelphia. So I went on my first few tours. It was really a pretty uh, action-packed year for putting out a record in February of 2006. We had a great release party. It won some Philadelphia Hip Hop Awards and cool stuff like that. Then started going into my first tours that spring and summer when I had time off from school. And then by the middle of the year, um, or maybe by the winter, I think it was beginning of the winter time, I was just like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be in Philadelphia. I just mm-hmm. felt like um, my growth was was stagnant in, in a way. Like being close to something that's so comfortable for you can make you, you know, get a little complacent. And and at one point you opened for Macklemore, right? During all this. I did. Um, crazy experience. Um, you know, I, I was playing shows every week out in Philly playing with, you know, some of the bigger names in the city, uh, Jedi Mind Tricks, um, the yeah, Reef the Lost Cause, uh, 7L Esoteric, like anybody who came through, uh, J-Live, um, Jizza, Wu-Tang Clan, and Macklemore, who I hadn't heard of, but I went and checked them out when they asked me to open the show, and like, dude was dope, um, he had a bunch of followers on MySpace at the time, and I was like, oh man, this guy's got it together, and uh, I... I like we did a CD trade. I gave him the call. He gave me Language of My World, um, which has a really good track called The Ego on it, which uh, I really dug when he performed that. So I was like, well, this guy's going places. No, little did I know. Well, whatever happened to that guy? I don't know, man. <laughs> not sure what happened. Um, there's a lot of stories like that of people that have been close to me. I went to high school with Eve, the rapper. and um, I didn't she know was, that. No, you didn't know that? That was awesome. See? She was a beast, uh, you know, um, battle rap, like queen. She would, she had like the short blonde do and we, um, we had uniforms. So, and our colors were purple and gold, like the Lakers and her hair was like the color of the gold in the, in the uniform. So like, she was just super stylish, even when we had to wear uniforms and, uh, and that lunchtime she would just battle cats and like, I never, ever bothered trying to battle, but, uh, we just just watch from the side and be like, man, she's so good. And, uh, and, you know, she turned out all right. I wonder if she's ever looked up a Wikipedia of your high school and seen other notable people. Oh, Megaran, I should do a track with him. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's funny. On the Wikipedia page of my high school, we're both listed there as notable graduates, which That's is awesome. dope. <laughs> so, they, and it reminds me of the quote that no, what is it? No man is a prophet in his hometown. Yeah. I think that's from the Bible. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that too, that me going to, other places work other places build with other people you know if i'd stayed in the bay area i, I, I would have been cool but i don't think i would have i obviously would have never met you and i never mm-hmm. would have had these opportunities and so in philadelphia you had you had an opportunity then to go to arizona from there or i did um basically it wasn't even through music it was through teaching i was um i put my resume out there just looking in the move to another place and i knew i wanted to be in a warm weather place because i was just tired of snow Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really what it was. It was a quick, superficial, knee-jerk reaction to a terrible winter. And I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. And um, I just filled out a bunch of applications. And um, Phoenix was the one place that was willing to interview me and then offer me the position over the phone. So that was cool. We did a, Then we did a Skype interview, and they were like, all right, come on out. We want you here next semester. Mm. 
So I got in the car, packed up my Kia, sold off all my most of my belongings, my beat machine. At that time, I was using an MPC 1000. Um, my computer, I don't think I sold my computer. I brought my computer and my keyboard. I was using... Um, I was using Reason to make beats at that time. Yeah, me too. And uh, and I still love Reason. And yeah. um, so I packed up as much as I could fit in like two storage bins, and uh, and I just put them in my little Kia Spectra. And me and my buddy, we drove all the way across the country to start a new thing. Um, and I had to be there in a hurry, so it was a thirty-six hour drive, and we got there in about forty hours. We made like one small stop in Oklahoma, and that was it. The rest of it, we just pushed through. Oh. And then I started teaching in school, and um. Crazy thing is, I didn't expect to be there that long. I didn't know I'd be in Arizona long at all. I just was like, let's just see what happens. And um, and I think just being there, I won't necessarily say it was Arizona. It's just the fact that maybe I was away and it gave me a new, you know, you kind of get that survivalist mentality where you're like, oh, I want to try some new things. I want to branch out. Yeah. And that's really what it was. And that's where the Mega Rand thing came about was just being in Phoenix um, and just being like, you know what? I'm going to play some old video games. And I went back, played some emulators, and uh, and I just remembered all that music and all those beats I was making on my PlayStation and all those soundtracks that I used to get. And I was like, dude, I should rap on these beats and, you know, maybe rap about the games and about the themes inside those games that made them cool. And, um, and that was it. Mega Ram was born in 2007. And so you, what came first, the name Mega Ram? Or it sounds like the concept came first. The concept came first. Yeah. And I think honestly, it was going to shows like Nerdapalooza, things like that, where I would meet guys like you and you know Comic Con or stuff. Um, the Mega Rand album blew up, and it was about it's an album by random about a character named mm. Mega Rand. And I think that a lot of people started to take that as me being Mega Rand, right? And so people would bill me on shows as Mega Rand, you know, or call me, "Hey, Mega Rand," you know. And I'm like, but I'm random, not Mega Rand, you know. Yeah. And uh, it just got confusing. So I was just like, well, you know what? I think it's some of the best names they say are 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 given, not made. Mm. So it turned out to be that, you know what I'm saying? Like most people have a nickname that they did not give themselves. You know, it's just like some family thing. Sure. That just happened. Tiny or Wiggles. <laughs> you know, oh, you used to wiggle when you were little. You know, <laughs> you know. So I yeah. think um, that's really what it was. And so I became. Mega Rand. So I was oh. okay with it. Yeah. And it was like a rebrand, which is always tough, you know? So it was random, AKA Mega Rand. And then uh, slowly just kind of phasing the random out of it and just being Mega Rand. I remember when I met you, it was Comic Con 2009, I think, or 2008. Mm. One mm. of those years. I think maybe 2009. Maybe. And we did a show with Doom Tree. That was cool. Yeah, at, at 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 the after party. Yes. And you were random then. Yes, I was. And then when we opened for MC Chris, Chris kept calling you Mega Rand. But when we, you were on, when we did like um, Telltale Heart and Me and the Mouse, it was still random. It was. Yeah. Um, I think it was that tour where I realized, you know, and that tour was so big for me, for I'm sure everybody. And um, and again, it was being billed as Mega Rand, so it became something where people would. Like, well, I'm trying to find Mega Rand on the internet. Where is he? You know? Yeah. And so it's like, well, I got to make this easy for people to find me. So that's really what it came down to. And then your big smash, most or one of your later albums, you reversed it, right? It was Mega Rand. You called it RNDM. Yes, the album was, was then called Random. It was um like a full circle representation of that. Yeah. Like being fully comfortable with your entire self. 
And that's really what the concept of that record was. That's why it's like the half video game face, half real face. You know, it's just like these are pieces of me. And it's time to finally be comfortable with with exactly who all of you is, you know? And I think that's something I love about your music and your work is you're able to have these pop culture milestones, but there's this depth and there's these lessons and that's the teacher in you and that's the storyteller. And like, that's, that's why it's fun working with you because you have so many layers. And that's why I like that, the concept of that album, because it's, it's brave and it's like real. And it's like, you touch on so many different fandoms. Like what the first time I'd heard of you before I met you was you'd, you did the Final Fantasy project with Kay Murdoch, right? Uh, Final Fantasy was with a producer and Lost Perception. Oh, right. But yeah. right before that was Forever Famicom with right. Kay Murdoch. So that was probably it. Yeah. I think that's probably the first big thing I had done. I mean, doing the Mega Man stuff was like, ooh, it's a rap about Mega Man on the internet. This is cool. You know how that goes. But I think just taking that, that concept and fleshing it all the way out with Kay Murdoch and making Forever Famicom with a producer who was so well-known and respected in the hip-hop community and then up-and-coming nerd rapper you know get to get together and bring two worlds together um i feel like a lot of people tell me like man that album's a classic it's a masterpiece like it, it introduced me to so many things you know and I, I feel really special about that record and it got so many like eyes on it from different places which was really dope um so yeah i think that was probably it because i think that was the year i met you was like right either before or after that came out how did you meet k murdoch that's a fun story. We were uh, MySpace friends, I guess. Huh. And uh, I was a fan of his group, Panacea. Big fan. But I didn't necessarily know the names of the guys who were part of it. Yeah. I knew there's a rapper named Raw Poetic and a producer named K Murdoch. Um, but I had friended them. And um, and I saw a guy named Kyle Murdoch on Facebook say, hey, I work for Sirius XM Radio and I'm looking for new tracks to play. Send me some things at this address, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, well. Who doesn't want their stuff on the radio? So I sent them two CDs. I sent them the call and I sent them Megaran. Not thinking that Kyle Murdoch was K Murdoch. I was just like, oh, okay. two different people, maybe. He but gets you were it. friends with him on Facebook. Yeah, we were friends yeah. on, on, on MySpace. Okay. And so he messaged me back, like, dude, I just got these albums from you, man. I, I don't like, this is great. I'm going to play it on my show. But like, on the side, though, I want to talk to you about like making music together. I'm a producer in this group called Panacea. And I was like, wait what you're the what no and like it was he was the guy and i was yeah. just like oh my gosh my world's are coming together like i'm a fan of you no, no i'm a fan of you you know and uh that was dope and so we worked on the album he sent me beats we didn't meet until the album was almost done um i only recorded one song with murdoch and that was dream master which okay. i think was the most special song on there probably um but the rest were just emailing sessions back and forth uh, I'd record at home. He'd mix, send me back stuff. And uh, I was in Philly visiting my mom for holiday and was like, you're in D.C. Why don't we meet up? So I did. I borrowed my mom's car, drove down I-95 and hung out with him for a day. And that's the day I recorded Dream Master. Um, but still, I think it's just a super special song. And I think having that memory connected to it like was was great. It was a very emotional moment. First time I'd met him, and then like I was sitting on his floor in his studio writing that song, mm. and I was just like, I just need a little time, like kind of sending him out of the room to be like, let me write this. And then the lyrics getting so emotional, and me kind of like even like tearing up. I remember like kind of crying in his in his room, 
and uh he come in like hey you want some water man like no no i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine you know what i mean and uh and then eventually recording the song and and uh him mixing mastering and putting the 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 special sauce on it and um and uh, it was a really special moment and uh from there you know we've been we've been best buddies since then being able to travel all around the world together it's been awesome putting out records together and uh so yeah it all started with with that moment from MySpace. <laughs> That's amazing, man. And that that you're both that Venn diagram of hip hop fans and people who were very well versed with video games. And he knew you were touching on something unique that was like about to become this <laughs> this whole underground like cavalcade of music that that people weren't really doing at the level you and the talent you guys had. Yeah, I mean, I feel like speaking of Venn diagrams, you could probably add a third Venn diagram and talk about like nerd culture. Permeate like you know permeating pop culture yeah around that same time 2007 2008 yeah when a lot of us were meeting up I think you know Marvel movies had just started you know a lot of things were happening retro kind of became cool again and a lot of these movements were happening at the same exact time and we were just all in the right place at the right moment to, to be able to <laughs> you know like we're blessed to be able to to be here um, and I think it's all you know it's mostly just luck being in the right place at the right time. Well, and using hip hop as a way to connect the dots in a creative way that's real is always like what I've loved about the art form. And, you know, like being able to understand that if you have a good story to say and you've paid your dues and you have skills, people will listen to you. And yeah, if you and say, I used to, didn't, yeah. I never, I, well, not never, but I used to not think that that was possible. Okay. You know, and I think maybe growing up in Philadelphia, being kind of jaded in the early 2000s hearing like Jay-Z was running East Coast rap at that time. Right. Well, you know, I still love Jay-Z. Yeah. But like Jay-Z then signed a bunch of artists, the Beanie Seagulls, the Freeways, a lot of guys. And Philadelphia, a lot of those guys were from Philadelphia. So therefore, that became the Philadelphia sound. And if you didn't sound like that, there was no way to break through. You know what I mean? There were no blogs. There were no podcasts. There right. were no. There was nothing else. There wasn't any Comic Con in Philly. There's no rhyme torrents yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. So like when you're thinking at it, when you're looking at it kind of myopically, you're, you're thinking, man, like this is, it's such a small town. It's a small area and a small possibility, of of getting hurt. You know. So I didn't think it would ever happen. You know. I was just like, well, let me just do this thing with my friends that makes me happy. And then, two months after I moved to Phoenix. Capcom hears my music and says, hey, come to Comic-Con. Like, we want you to sit and sign autographs for an hour. Wow. You know, and I'm just like, wait, what? Like, Rather than is... cease and desist, they were, they I embraced mean, it, right? Sure beats a cease and desist. Like, <laughs> they could have easily. And I mean, I got I, I give Capcom a lot of props, you know, but I think most importantly, they were so ahead of the curb on, on, on like, uh, community uh, relationships. I think they were ahead of the curb. And I've had yeah. friends be like, man. Capcom couldn't have shut you down. Like you would have become, you would have been martyred, you know, like sure, maybe, you know, they would have realized it's not good PR, but <laughs> I don't think these guys are thinking about PR. They're just like, Hey, this looks great for us. Let's do it. You know, not like what'll happen if we crush this small indie guy, you know? And now you are the first, you were the first rapper officially licensed by them, right? To sample them. Yeah. I mean, everyone's sampled things, but haven't had, you know, hasn't had clearance to do so. So, uh, yeah, they they emailed me um, a document and was like, "Here, you you have now you know one hundred percent clearance to sample uh, from our our catalog." And as far as I know, I'm the first rapper that that's happened to, which is really cool. That's cool. 
Um, yeah. Let's talk about your Guinness Book of World Records achievement. Oh, yeah. That's cool. that's amazing, man. Oh, wait. I didn't know. I don't know if I told you. Well, you probably know. that There's two other rappers that are licensed by Capcom. But two, but only <laughs> one legend. Only Who are the one, other two? It's only one Mega Ran. <laughs> yeah. These other guys, they're on the come up. Uh, Lil Wayne and Drake. Oh, yeah. So look out for them. Um, so I heard they're opening for Macklemore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. So um, Guinness World Record, man. That just happened. You know, fast forwarding from that moment to mm-hmm. to maybe ten years to the day, almost sometime in 2017, I get an email from the Guinness World, World Records office in uh, in London, and they're like, "Hey, um, we're working on this gaming edition. We put it out every year. Uh, we're we want to get into get some cool stuff in here, but we got a question. They're like, how many songs would you say that you have about Mega Man?" And I'm like, well, "I don't really know." So I had to go back because since then I made the Mega Ran album, I made Mega Ran 9, I made Mega Ran 10, I did a Mega Ran commission album, I did a Mega Ran remix album in Japan with all Japanese composers, and then maybe one other project with Mega Man. So uh, I went back and counted, it was like 130, and they were like, oh, oh shoot, well, uh, we think that you have a record, like by a long shot. This is like the most songs created off of, off of IP, off an intellectual property. And I'm like, word. And they were like, okay, well, maybe one day if you ever get over to London, you know, we can have you come by and pick up this award or we can mail it to you, whatever. Um, but we would love to do a photo shoot with you too as well. And I was like, ah, oh, well, let's do that. So I basically booked the UK tour around uh. this visit to try to make this work for that January. So I did. We went out, had a great time. It was super hectic. I flew in. They had like a car waiting for me. Wow. To take me to the office in the middle of london then they had a shower in the basement so i went and showered there yeah got ready took photos and uh then they gave me a plaque and then we did a live stream on their on their facebook page and like it was a really like surreal moment and uh and that was dope man i feel like that's not, not something you ever set out to accomplish you just you're just doing your thing and next thing you need to look up and it's like oh wait I broke this. Um, I broke this a record. record. Like no one's ever done this this many times before. Yeah. Like so, that's pretty dope. Um, so yeah, but now that there's a number on it, I feel like maybe somebody will be kind of coming after it. So that's fine. But they can't take the plaque away from me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm good on that. So yeah, man, it's just another crazy thing in this journey that's been happening. You know, so I'm uh, just loving every moment. So you told me the story about how when. Um Black Materia was on the front page of Reddit. It mm-hmm. was kind of like a turning point where you you saw that this movement you were creating and your art kind of was feeding and growing like at an exponential level. Like, would you mm-hmm. mind telling that story? Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. This is a good one. That's funny because I was just writing this chapter in my book, uh, so this is a this is pretty fresh in my mind. Um, I was in school teaching uh, May 2011, and regular old school day, and I forgot to silence my phone so i'm getting a whole lot of notifications on my phone while i'm teaching a class and so it's you know and i'm like oh man okay then i go and who died right you know i'm like gee whiz i hope nobody's dead you know uh so when i finally get a break in the school day one of my friends i see the last text is one of my friends saying dude you're blowing up black materials on the first page of reddit and in 2011 i wasn't really familiar with reddit i was like what the heck is that and like dude it's blowing up trust me and I could tell because all the rest of the notifications were like people buying the album or oh, wow. sharing the album and tagging me in posts. So it was just like ridiculous. Um, 
And so by the time the smoke had cleared, I think it was like the number like 19 album on iTunes or something like that. And I was just like, holy crap, like this is above like Lil Wayne and Lady Gaga. Like, hmm. So this makes me makes me think like, well, these guys are all full time musicians and I'm on this chart with them. Like yeah. maybe I should be looking into doing this full time. And um, also in there is emails from, you know, Game Pro magazine and PlayStation magazine wanting to do like articles on, on the Black Material album. Game Informer made it like a holiday pick for the album or whatever, did a little article on it. And all these cool things started happening. And I was just like, wow. And that was the moment for me where I was like, all right, it's time to really kick this into high gear. And also show requests were coming. You know, people asked me to come and play PAX or to play MAGFest and all these other great events. And But I had to teach, so I couldn't leave. And um, so I started kind of taking days off to go do it anyway. And uh, my principal was like, you can't keep taking days off. And I realized that too. Like, I want to be the best teacher I can be as long as I'm there. And you're kind of doing the kids a disservice when you can't be there. You know, they need consistency. So I was like, I think it's time. I'm going to have to put in my two weeks notice and do this. And so I did. And uh, and that was the moment where um, actually I took the two weeks. I put the two weeks notice in. And then this wasn't even before. It was after. Maybe two weeks after that when I was still trying to figure my life out. MC Chris emails me asking me about going on the fall tour. So I resigned in May and then just had to hold hold myself over for a few months and then went on like the biggest tour of my life in that fall, you know, and uh, I think that just that just kind of set me up to to keep moving. So the combination of that and that offer for the tour and knowing that like you could either double down on this or mark it up as a fluke. You 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 had the faith to, to see what I would happen, right? I had to jump right? off the ledge, man. I feel like if I had stayed working when Chris sent me that email, I'd have been like, I can't do it. Sorry. You know, I still have this teaching job. And also, right around that same time, a good friend of mine, Carly Hustle, asked me to um, teach her um, music business class at a local Phoenix co- um, community college. Um, and she's like, hey, we need somebody to teach the night classes and about four classes a week. It's really good. It's, it's fun. It's good money. You get to talk to young kids about music. And I would love to do that at some point. But yeah. at this time, now I have a choice. It's like tour or stay home and teach. And I'm like, well, I've already done the teaching thing. I'm going to step out on faith here and try this music thing. And and so I did. We, we got on the road and didn't look back. And that tour, I, I remember for me too, it was like this post-warp tour milestone where I was you know, it was just realizing that this scene was really um, becoming something that mm-hmm. wasn't going away. And of course, Chris, like, has always had been a big name in the scene. But then we spent so much time together that tour. And yeah. we, the next spring, we did, or no, we, we'd done the Nerdcore Died song in 2009, I guess. I think so. Yeah. A few years before that, we had done that. Um, and that was, you know, me feeling like some things needed to be spoken on. And, you know, you had this moment. <laughs> Where some people were kind of mad at you. I posted a blog that was <laughs> telling everyone not to be lazy and to work hard and understand nerdcore within the bigger context of original hip hop artists, right? And right. You, you'd seen that art, that article, I guess. I saw it, and you mentioned some trouble. folks. You mentioned some guys that were like dope, and uh, you even put me on to some guys. I think through that it was Jesse. I, I heard of through that article, Beefy, and some others, but like. I wasn't there, so I kind of felt a little way. But at the time, you didn't know who I was. So 
So I was like, hmm. I'm right. sorry, Baker Well, let me reach out to this guy, you know, and it was more like, well, maybe we could continue the dialogue on a record so that people can kind of understand where you're coming from. And that's yeah. that's really what it was. And uh, we made a banger and record died. And um, it was part of the DLC set for the Forever Famicom album. So I think through that, you met Kay Murdoch. You know, you guys did work together. So that was cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was a it was a good moment. That was a good time. And and then we did Telltale Heart yes. next spring. And it was like, oh, you and I both, you as a teacher, me as, uh, I never taught professionally, but but someone who loves reading and working with doing workshops and stuff. Like mm-hmm. we had this interesting skill set where we both, the one of your other fandoms I found was your very, very <laughs> deep knowledge of literature and passion for books. Absolutely. And so now... Years later, after talking about it forever, we have this exciting album coming out this fall. Yeah. Is this like a conflict of interest? We get to talk about your stuff now on your podcast? <laughs> well, it's the first time. I've, this is the first interview with someone who's like I've done an album with. <laughs> well, we're, so, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to that because one of the things also that's happened through all this is your explosion into the wrestling community. Uh, yeah. Wrestling's always been there for me, too. It's kind of an on and off thing, but... Uh, Always been a big part of my life, and I guess it was 2015. Um, I wrote my first like wrestling rap, and it was um, about Brock Lesnar, who was the champ at the time. And and then the song did well, and I gave it to some friends, and they're like, "Oh, this is a banger! Like this is this sounds like something he should come to the ring to, and things like that." And you know, that was really what I was trying to create. And so I was like, "Wait, this is um this is fun. I like wrestling. I like rapping. So why not?" Again, I saw like a, a void that hadn't been filled, much like with, with video games and hip hop. You know, I didn't feel a place in history or at least in uh, in our community where hip hoppers felt comfortable next to gamers or vice versa. You know, so same thing now. I don't know if there's a space for wrestling fans and hip hop heads and gamers to all be in the same place. Maybe at Comic Cons these days. Or at your shows. Right. That, that's what I'm trying to create with yeah. my show. So now I'm yeah. like, I want hip hop heads to come in. I want gamers to come in. And I want wrestling heads to come in and all enjoy the same thing. So, uh, so yeah, that's what it was about. I made an album called Matt Mania. Um, then I made a podcast of the same name. And uh, we just hit our 100th episode. Really excited about that. Um, it's been a labor of love, definitely trying to create and stay like ad free and sponsor free and just just speak our minds about the things we like and uh i have a great staff of guys t call neo x rock knowledge who helped me out a bunch and um so yeah we come through every week just talking wrestling this is just what we would do without a mic much like you know me and you right now um and being able to just talk about the things we like with people who will understand it and also i can be like hey by the way did you hear a new eminem song what do you think you know and now we could talk about that as well yeah so bringing those audiences together I think is a, a big part of me. I've always been about inclusion. And I just remember a long time ago going to a, a Comic-Con and with a, with a good friend, um, Open Mike Eagle. And I, we went to a Comic-Con. We played together. And it was his first time being at a Comic-Con. And he was playing there. And he was like, dude, I didn't. He's like, it's, it was weird. He's like, I know these people like all the things I like. They like Adventure Time. They like anime. They like wrestling. They like comics. But I didn't really feel like I belonged. Like I didn't get a, a feeling of inclusion, mm. you know. And for whatever reason, it didn't feel as comfortable as I thought it would be. So 
I've kind of made it my mission since then to be like, man, I want people to feel comfortable, you know, particularly people of color, you know, and women and people who, you know, are, have been marginalized in any way. Like I want people to feel comfortable doing all the things that we love to do and speaking about those things. So, so I'm trying to, you know, I've kind of made it my mission with that through, through my shows, through my music, um, through the NPC collective and, and things like that. Just, you know, we try to preach inclusion. Like everybody's welcome to get down and have a good time and party, you know? That's the real spirit of hip hop going it back is. to the beginning of it. Peace, love, unity, and having fun, right? That's what it is. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? Like what are your, you've achieved so much in the time that I've known you and like, mm. I always see you just doing amazing stuff. You always inspire me and I know you inspire your fans and mm. what, like, like what are some of your dreams that, you you think about when you go to sleep and <laughs> I think about getting back into education. It's something that I really want to do. I think I owe to myself. I feel like that's an unfinished chapter in my life. I want to go back, but I want to use what I've learned over like the last eight, nine years and put bring that into a classroom. Like teaching mm. kids how to how to, you know, navigate their online identity and, you know, and how to how to promote themselves, how to tour, you know, like all the things that I've learned just doing it kind of DIY, um, I can save people a lot of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's really what I would like to do. I'd like to get into a, a classroom setting and just give people the real and uh, and hopefully they'll want to hear it and, uh, you know, build off of that and make something great happen um, and save time. So uh, consulting, like career consulting, I think is something I would love to get into. I do a little bit of mentoring now with younger artists. So I want to do more of that. Uh, I want to get back into engineering, you know, maybe run a studio, running sessions like I used to do back in the day. Uh, production, um, writing. I got a, like three book ideas in my head right now. So I want to get those done. And basically just try not to, I mean, try to get these ideas out in ways that don't involve me being away from home so much, you know. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm a married man, you know, I got to think about family time and that's super important to me. So uh, just making the most of my time and uh, that's really it. And as well as just staying creative, trying new stuff. Because touring is like being in a space capsule sometimes a little bit, right? Like you get really good <clears throat> at these things, but it, you grow in one way. Wouldn't you agree? You have all mm -hmm. these things like writing a book on tour is is basically unthinkable i think <laughs> i think yeah. so yeah i don't even write rhymes on tour like it's just not something that i have time for i'll just jot an idea down jot two words down or something a day and i'm like all right now when i get a moment i'll <laughs> go back and revisit yeah but yeah you're just kind of practicing one skill set for a, an, a, an extended amount of time so by the time you're done like I, by the time i was done that mc chris tour like i was you know we were all very experienced on stage and very legendary masters when it came to rocking a crowd, you know? So yeah, you're kind of in that vacuum where you're, you're practicing that skill over and over again and utilizing it, but you got to flex some other muscles and use some other muscles to, uh, to become well-rounded, you know? And then going back on tour is kind of like a nice, mm -hmm. like another finger on that hand, right? Of like skills mm -hmm. you can do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about the album briefly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we made this record. It's called the Dewey Decibel System. We've been talking about it forever. It's done. And um, let's. What are some of the books we did though? Can we mention them or? We can talk about it. We did um, 
some poems, uh, short stories, Ozymandias, um, graphic novels like The Watchmen. Um, man, we did... The Go to a Grecian Urn by Keats. Yeah, did 1984. Julius Caesar. Uh, Julius Caesar. Um, the last one, I don't want to say what it is because I think that's when it gets real. Yeah. Yeah. So we go with contemporary works as well as classics. Um, I like the fact that it's so well-rounded in styles of of books as well as styles of songs you know we got like some old school bangers we got some you know some new age kind of trap sounds we got some some sky rock in there <laughs> you know what i mean so i like that it's all over the place you know i think that but it gets still feels very uh cohesive yeah it feels cohesive because we a special thing we did is before our tour last year you were in new york for a bit and we tracked all the vocals in the studio together and like that seems rare now with rap collaborations. It's a lot of emailed wave files. That was important. I haven't done that with somebody else in a long time. Yeah. Um, so inspired by that, I did the same with the album I did with Felix, Bag of Tricks Cat, The Emerald Nights 2. I made sure that we were in the same room because I think it's important to be able to feed off each other. You know, I write pretty fast. So when I finish a, a verse and he's still working, uh, then I can hear his verse and then be like, oh, well, maybe I need to go back and adjust some things. Mm. So same with this, like, and being able to record a song one day, listen to it that night, and then go back into the studio the next day and be like, oh, well, I wasn't really clear on that word, so let me fix that, you know? And it was dope to be able to, to like, in real time, bounce ideas off each other and uh, and create that way. So that was fun. And revise and, like, reference each other's verses. And mm-hmm. and we worked with our uh, Theosin, Brad, our very, very patient producer <laughs> engineer who... Uh, Definitely worked some long days, and he definitely was a saint. Oh man, he was super patient. You know, I don't know if I could do that, but uh, you know, I give him a lot of props for that. Like it was just whatever we needed. He was very, very patient. Took his time, and uh, and did amazing work. And shout out to Richard, and shout out to Matt for helping with the finalizing, the mastering, the mixing, and the prep. True, man. Like we had a lot of great, great, talented folks on this, and also that are very busy. Matt Weiss is yeah doing all types of things now. I mean, uh, it's pretty amazing. As part of my, he's been a big part of my journey for the last like 10 years. Plus, uh, you know, he's been a part of every project I've put out. So I really, really was adamant about hoping to get him involved on this. So I'm glad we did. Uh, he's rapping as well. Yeah. You know, such a multi-talented cat. So, um, that was awesome to have. And, um, I can't wait till everybody hears this because, like you said, we've been talking about it for three years. Like, so it better be good, you know. So it's a banger. Y'all they won't be disappointed. I'm proud of it and I'm glad we took our time. And uh it's uh yeah, it's 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 special. And it's been special being able to craft the songs on the road too, you know, and like mm-hmm. um yeah. And thank you to all our Kickstarter fans and supporters. Like that's been awesome. Absolutely. It's been dope, man. Um they're gonna get it real soon. Um and uh, it's been fun playing some of the new stuff on the on the tour uh we're planning out video ideas uh just picturing how these songs are going to be received by people that makes me excited to be like oh snap they did Watchmen! oh you know what I yeah mean? now you know like they don't know who's playing who or they don't know yeah. you know so like so they get to unwrap these presents you know that we've been holding for so long you know and and that the kickstarter people get some of the outtakes that the world won't hear mm-hmm. and we we did this record we did mad demos and then picked our favorite like 
we have we've made basically three records in the span of this. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's dope. To that's kind of an under underutilized you know process, just recording stuff and then picking the best stuff instead of being like I'm only doing eight records. They better like them, you know. But taking records that we really like and even having some moments where we're like, but you know, having tough decisions where we're like, but I really like. Yeah. You know, waiting for Godot or and things like that, and Bell being like, jar. "Oh, Bell Jar is so good," you know, and then not being able to to use those. But the Kickstarter backers will get to hear them, so that's the good thing about that. So much flavor in their ears, coming ah, flavor in the air. Mice and men. There's oh, there's so much good stuff. Oh yeah, wait the the uh, the Bilbo Baggins song. Mm-hmm. Oh shoot, yo, it's like bangers, yo. So Mega Ran, before we get out of here. The tour's been good, right? You've been having fun so far? Oh, yeah. Tour's always fun, uh, especially with um, just intelligent, amazing, hardworking rap guys um, who bring it every night and continue to inspire, keep us laughing on the road. You know, I, I think this is one of the most fun tours. It's, it's very stress-free. Yeah. You know, so I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, and, and there's no, like, uh, there's, like... There's the idea we all respect each other and we all want each other to win. We sell each other's merch when we mm-hmm. were on stage for each other. We help load the van. No one's a diva. No one is no. annoying yet. <laughs> Not yet. I don't know. Um, <laughs> people might start getting cranky after these long drives. But honestly, but right now, everybody's been super cool yeah. and super helpful. And I think that's the big part of it is like being, being willing to help each other out is so important you know you hear so much about like oh rappers are selfish and stingy and you know and but no i mean uh we're we're lucky uh, we're blessed actually to be yeah. a part of a scene where everybody legit cares for each other legit is fans of each other and um it's it's really dope it is and we were listening to front new album and 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 schaefer's new album with vince vandal and they were listening to our final mixes and like mm-hmm. we're genuinely fans of each other's music which is Mm. And rap, you know, so many people just want to listen to, I don't know, the stereotype is people are focused on their own, their own. ego. But, um, yeah, that's cool. Um, so shout out to Frenela and Schaefer for be, for their hard work. Absolutely. This has been, um, it's been a great tour. And um, we'll do, what are we, what are we doing after that? Oh, we're putting out the album. The album comes out and then a tour abroad, which we will announce more with our friends that's coming out in the spring. Yeah. And then more more flavor. Yeah. So I gotta ask you a question, Lars. Yeah. This is a question I get a lot. What do you what do you do when you have like writer's block? When you're just like, mm. man, I can't I can't come up with anything. Or you come up with stuff and you're like, man, it's not funny, it's not witty, it's not creative. What do I do? So yeah. Hey, happens? that's a good question. Mm. I will do an hour. I'll I'll go to a coffee shop. I like to get out of my office and put my brain in a new place, or go to the park or something like New York. It's an easy place to you know, shift gears and I'll set an, my phone for an hour and I'll just write to the beat and I'll try to write 30, 40 bars that might be, might be trash. I might throw them all away, but there might be mm. four in there mm. that the next day after that, I'll put it away because mm. I always, there's always more to do. So I'll put it away and then I'll come back the next day and try to reapproach it because I think so much of writer's block is this stagnation of appraisal of what you're doing whether it it resonates with you because especially when like you and i we've written so much Mm -hmm. take a break but 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 before you take the break do a disciplined hour of writing Hmm. and then i like that revisit how about you 
man, same thing. I like to get away. I like to just sit it down, do something else. Video games are great for that, clearing my headspace. Yeah. I'll sit down with something, maybe something kind of mindless, even if it's like a Pac-Man or I don't know. I'll play an old retro Super Mario and just start running through it and then come back. Um, reading comics is a great thing for me. Um, listening to like an audio book or just something inspirational. Um, that'll take me into a place. I've been listening to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk stuff lately. Have you heard of him? No. Gary uh, he has a book called Crush It. But since then, he's become like a social media guru. He just kind of, he has such great words of wisdom. And the last one was, um, it's titled, What Would Happen If Pro Sports Players Stopped Playing when they heard the crowd boo them. Mm. <laughs> and he's like, can you imagine that? A, a baseball player who comes up to the bat and they're like, boo. And then he's just like, oh, man, they don't like me. I should just quit. And then he walks home. <laughs> you know, like, come on. So basically saying, like, yo, get your butt up and do something. You know, like, don't be discouraged if somebody doesn't like something that you put out. You know, and I, I had to think about that. You know, last record I put out, we did a, um, did a video for a song on the Matt Mania album where I'm like rapping in auto-tune. And it's definitely something different. Yeah. Something that's been a little more polarizing than I thought it would be but for my audience. But I guess I understand because it's not a sound that they're used to applauding well, live or, or hearing from crushes. me. I think it does, yeah, but it's, it's still, it's great. It's I relevant. think it still gives people a bit of like, Am I supposed to like this or? Can we talk about this one for a second? I guess so. It's about it's a, it's, <laughs> it's about it's called heel turn, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I understand it, in wrestling, that's when someone who's a, who's a face, a good character, mm -hmm. becomes a bad guy. Correct. And you're talking about Brett. Brett the Hitman Hart. Okay, it's, and so you're like, it's his sadness and and that the WWE forced him to make that turn or like. Correct. Just okay. seeing like, man, he's, I got it. Yeah, absolutely. Like. <laughs> He was like the number one babyface good guy, uh -huh. you know. But because the 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 climate of pop culture in general has shifted, it's just like when people say, "Oh, Superman is boring," you uh -huh. know, or, or Captain America is boring. Why? Because they're good guys, uh -huh. you know. So good guys without drama are boring to to our society. So that was Bret Hart. He was a boring guy to them. So Stone Cold comes around. He's flipping people off. He's yelling. He's cussing. He's bald headed, you know. So he's cooler. And okay. therefore, Brett is the old school guy in the new school world, you know, where they're like, no, nah, they want edge. They want cool, you know, and he's like, but that's not me. And because of that, he now has to change his character and he has to start cheating in his matches and he has right. to take those boos from the crowd, you know, and it's like, but, you know, what's going on? And uh, and I looked I kind of likened it to myself being like a good guy in a, in a mean world, you know, and uh and so the chorus is, don't make me the bad guy. I'm just praying that you don't make me the bad guy. And then you doing know? the modern twist, the SoundCloud autotune is like you're doing mm -hmm. the hip thing, which isn't your traditional aesthetic. Exactly. So it's like a perfect, I love that piece because it's an encapsulation of form and context mm -hmm. and how you fit in rap and how wrestling, mm -hmm. the terms of wrestling. And it's like just a cool part of your set. Thank you. It's awesome, there's a, man. There's a cool, there's a thing we always say when something happens in the news we always say everything is wrestling because there's always some way to relate it back to wrestling. Yeah. yeah. And uh, recently this UFC fight happened and there's a big brawl afterwards. And I'm like, see, everything's wrestling. Like that sounds like Vince McMahon wrote it. You yeah. know, like 
<laughs> how often is there a big million dollar fight in Las Vegas and then it ends with like it's spilling into the crowd? Like it just sounds like something that happened on WWE. So um, I always managed to find a way. So yeah, like you said, this is a multi-layered song where it's like, it might just sound like to somebody that I, I just picked up the cool, you know, the tool that that that, that the future's using and yeah. decided to sound like him. But it was actually like such a layered message where it's like, man, am, am I, you know, the analog guy in the digital world, you know, who has to conform, <laughs> you know, in order to be heard or respected, right. you know, so that's all it was. And a lot of people might might have gotten that and i had a lot of fans who did get that but i do have people like but auto-tuned uh but why uh." and it's like well listen to the message so again thinking about man if i saw the first negative youtube comment and then said all right i quit like this is this is obviously someone else's game and someone else's time mega ran is done you know and uh that was the gary vaynerchuk thing i just brought in a long circle to come back to is that you can't stop just because somebody's booing, you know? Right. And uh, and I think, honestly, if you're not making art that challenges your audience, then what's the point? Well, you know, we, we had this moment in the van where I posted this anti-Kavanaugh stuff. And, like, I'm mm-hmm. usually, you know, I'm, I'm political in my rhymes, but on social media, I try to hold back. Yeah. And it was so empowering to be, like, you know, this whole culture of empowering these bullies and these frat boys is... Uh, there it was polarizing on my facebook people like i'm not gonna listen to you anymore lars and damien had this great i he had this great quote like fine if you don't want to listen to art with a political message there's plenty of artists who have no opinions go go Mm -hmm. for them like this being a like it's really empowering tonight i wanted to thank you and like everyone else for that because it's Mm -hmm. you you inspire me to tap into to express truths and take chances even if it's going to annoy the nerd core or anyone else who's a fan of ours because mm-hmm. we want to push the limit and not shy away. And that's the beauty of being independent and not reporting to a label or. Yeah. Whatever. We don't have any corporate entity to please. And you know, we just got to please ourselves. Yeah, man. And at the end of the day, man, if I don't please me, then I'm disappointed. I say like I'm my own boss, but I'm, and I'm very fair. Yeah. But at the same time, like I want to be pleased at the end of the day. Right. So <laughs> I'd be disappointed with me as an employee. If I'm not, if I'm not expressing, how I feel and making me happy and comfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and yeah, we get we worry about it like, oh man, like when we do a show that has 120 people, 10 people leaving, not being there could make a difference to us some way in some weird way. But it's like, but do you really want those 10 folks there who are misrepresenting your message or mishearing you or choosing not to, you know, listen to that side of you. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, and I go through that a lot. And I mean, just in the most basic way, being a black man in nerdcore, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's stuff that I don't necessarily talk about, but it comes out in the music or when it, I feel like it has to. But yeah, like I don't, I'm many people's black friend or black rap friend, you know what I mean? And it's like, hey, it just kind of is what it is. But if I am the only time you're going to hear from a black man, then I got to let you know what's going on from my perspective you know what i mean and it's like you got to get a different perspective from me than you would get from lex the lexicon artist or from samus or from mc lars or from shape of the dark lord you know what i mean so i think that's super important and uh i'm proud of you for making that making that statement thanks man and um you know it's like so be it i feel like and and also you can also respond in a in a positive way 
in a constructive way. Like you said, there are many artists who, well, they probably have an opinion. They just don't want to say it because they're afraid. You know, I've I've worked with some of them who were like, oh, man, I can't I can't talk about that because people are going to be mad. I'm like, well, yeah, so? Like, you know, and I just liken it back to YouTube comments. Like, do you want every YouTube comment to be a fire emoji or do you want to start a dialogue? You know what I mean? And that's really what it comes down to. So That's so well said. I don't know. I mean, is that what you want in your comments? You want everybody with a thumbs up? Or do you want to actually talk about something real? And that's the 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 blind like the blind explosive metrics of 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 every of things trending, but without this human greater purpose of this soul searching that goes back to you sampling on your PS one and like writing about the stuff you care about and and being true to your passions. Because when you did a Mega Mega Man record, wasn't like. You were like, oh, this is going to be the number one album. Oh, heck no. You had to do it. I didn't want anybody to hear it. I was like, oh, this is right. just for myself. I right. hope I hope this doesn't get to Capcom. And, and then it does. And then they're like, oh, we love it, you know? So, yeah, yeah I think you, yeah. Can't, you can't set out. And if I think about worse, if I had set out and been like, man, this thing's going to kill, then it would have completely flopped. Yeah. And um, Quincy Jones has a great, uh, great quote about that. And this is a guy who's you know, sold millions of records, you know what I mean? Worked with the greatest of, of musicians who said, anytime I've ever sat in the studio and thought about the money that it would make, it's been a failure. Mm. Anytime. And he said, you are instantly setting yourself up for failure. He said, gosh, what's the quote? He said, God leaves the room when you're thinking about money in the studio. Ooh. And I was like, dang, Quincy, give me that. Ooh. I felt it. You know oh, what I, I mean? That. Like the moment you start start thinking about how much money or how many sales this song is going to make, that's when the truth just starts to fly out the window. Like, just nah, desiccated. It, it's gone. Yeah. The air gets sucked out of the room because yeah. you're not creating, you know, with the right purpose in mind. And that's, it's so cool. Like your career, you'd set up this career where teaching was a way for you to pay the bills while your rap career took off. And now we're all in this awesome context where this, independent scene we've all breathed life to life into and supported kind of has its own legs and it's yeah. not and there's a bigger you could call it god you could call it whatever there's a bigger context to like what we're doing and this importance especially in these dark scary dramatic <laughs> times where there's this light that's like it's the money doesn't matter but it comes and yeah. people come to shows and people discover it and i hope and pray that this becomes a some sort of inspirational parable or something to young people who want to balance between do I, you know, do I try to get those fire emojis and do trendy mm -hmm. songs about opiates and whatever, <laughs> or do I do something from the heart that's like might not sell, but I take a chance. Yeah. I think that's really what it comes down to. And then, yeah. you know, I listen to a lot of older artists talk about what the newer kids are doing and, you know, most of them are, you know, maybe they come down on them a little bit. Yeah. But I think at the same time, a lot of guys will be like, man, it's, you can look at the numbers, like the stuff that's real is the stuff that lasts. You know what yeah. I mean? When you talk about just getting high and partying with your friends, it's the song of the moment and then it's over, you know, but none of these guys are outselling Kendrick Lamar or J. Cole. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the young rappers with substance. Right, right. You know what I mean? The little this and little that are not outselling these guys. So right. it's like, how do you explain that? Well, because the, the stuff that sticks to your ribs, you know, is the stuff that actually kind of hangs around, you know, and the rest of it's just kind of for a moment. And um, and it's never too late for those kids to grow up either. You know, and I think sure, that sure, yeah. a lot of young, a lot of older guys, you know, myself included, 
maybe that's an artist gives them that that benefit of the doubt. Like, yo, they're sixteen, seventeen. Like, yeah, what was I thinking about at sixteen, seventeen? You know, so maybe not opiates, but you know, what I'm saying I was I was into my own nonsense. So yeah, it's like you know, giving these kids a chance to grow up. But problem is, I mean, unfortunately, not to make it too dark at the end, some of them aren't growing up, right, man. Right, they're not right. growing old, man. Mac Miller is like something that just hits my heart because I didn't realize how young he was, you know, and he did so much. This dude had like an eight, nine year rap career at 25, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, man, this dude worked so hard Ugh. and just like that just shot up and, and burnt out so fast. And it's like, and it's, it's tragic, you know? And so that's the part where we're like, well, you know, some of these kids, you know, Ice Cube was reckless in his younger days. However, you know, it's a different world. He's it's different, you know, and he's he's here now to talk about it. You know what I mean? And yeah. Ice T is on a speaking tour right now, just explaining to everybody how he went from writing a song called Cop Killer to playing a cop on TV. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like there, there's 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 a light at the end of the tunnel, you know. So it's not all doom and gloom for these guys, but you know, and I don't want the young kids to ever think that we're coming down on them because we all had our our moments, but. But I think it's okay to challenge yourself and most importantly challenge your your audience. You know. Definitely. If you're not, I mean, how many Mega Man songs can a guy write? Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, so right. So it's like as much as I know, and that's this is why they just put out a new Mega Man game. And some people will mess with me, oh, I know you're working on a new Mega Man song. And I'm like, let me show you this Guinness World Record and what it says. It says <laughs> 130 Mega Man songs written. Do you need 131? Do you? Do you need one? Yeah, I need to break my own record. Like, right is now. this something yeah. right now that you need from me? Right. Have you heard all these one hundred and thirty songs? You know what I mean? Have you really listened? You know? Yeah. So, so it's like, man, I gotta, I gotta challenge myself, and I gotta have fun for me. And uh, yeah. right now, doing what's expected isn't what's what's on my plate. And um, I wouldn't be random if I did what everybody expected me to do. Then you just you'd be static. <laughs> static. <laughs> static beats. This has been an incredible interview, man. And I, I want to thank you. I know on tour it's busy and like it's like we're set we I set these mics up in the hotel room. I know we got the Raspberry Pi and like I know I want to play video games. So let's wrap this up. Thank you for your time and um where can people support your you and find your podcast and then we'll be out. Yo, you can go to megaran.com slash Matt Dash Mania. Is my podcast. Uh, you can also get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Um, Twitter is at MegaRan. It looks like Meg Ryan. Yes, I'm aware of that. Uh, but it's not. Also, uh, Patreon, we do two songs a month at patreon.com slash bits and rhymes. Usually, at least one of those is with my partner, Kay Murdoch. And um, there's new songs about games, about whatever I'm feeling at the moment. You know, so uh, tune in. I also did an exclusive video that I shot in uh, Tokyo on the last one that I did. So look out for that. All right. So uh, let's wrap this up. Do you want to play something? Should we play something from the new record? Yeah. Yeah. Let's give them something new. Um, something that maybe nobody's heard outside of Kickstarter backers. Um, the first song we probably recorded for this, maybe. I think it uh, is. Joint called Walden. And we shot a video at the Walden Pond. Shout out to Henry David Thoreau. Uh, there's a really dope statue of him there. We put a cell phone in his hand. It was dope. 
Shout out to 213 for filming DJ this. 213. He did great. On a really early, rainy morning. He yeah. hooked us up. It was great. So can't wait for you all to see the video. Um, of course, like I said, Kickstarter backs already have it. But um, let's take a trip to Walden Pond. Thanks, everyone. Check it out. Look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to get away from everything, everyone, would you do it or just let it slip? Yo. A Walden might not have been a Times bestseller, but we learned plenty from its lessons. So let me tell you, its impact on the culture will be felt, but not till 20 years after it hit a shelf. See, most people live their lives half asleep, doing what they're told, functioning like sheep. But Henry David Thoreau was determined to be different. So one day he made a life altering decision. He would live two years in a cabin in the woods, far from anything that was happening. No phone, no one could contact him. No interactions meant no distractions. He could focus on the beauty of nature, strengthening the spirit, becoming complete. Eating to live instead of living to eat. Why live in a mental prison when you can be free? This experiment would teach him true existence. Reading, farming, learning, and fishing. No talking, just listening. Uh, nothing brings focus quite like distance. The time would prove to be influential He'd find deep meaning in the seemingly simple And like magic wave from a wand Everything changed on Walden Pond When the world gets you down, there's a place you can go Back to Walden Pond like Henry David Thoreau Living in the woods with no internet or phone Two years, two months, two days all alone When the world disappoints you, there's a place you can go Marching to a different drummer, Henry David Thoreau Living in the woods with no radio or phone Two years, two months, two days all alone Cabin life was peaceful, nature over people Nobody's deceitful, everything was equal No food, he wasn't making a scene He just planted and tended two acres of beans He developed two distinct personas Hermit and poet, no strangers to drama They would argue about what he was there for Rearranged everything he thought he cared for the poet would conjure up visions of past residents of the cabin that he lived in. Poor tradesmen, runaway slaves, in their company is where he spent most days. He preferred solitude, just being alone, not gazing or staring at a phone. With his environment, he formed a strong bond as seasons passed on Walden Pond. When the world gets you down, there's a place you can go. Back to Walden Pond like Henry David Thoreau. Living in the woods with no internet or phone Two years, two months, two days all alone When the world disappoints you, there's a place you can go Marching to a different drummer, Henry David Thoreau Living in the woods with no radio or phone Two years, two months, two days all alone Now Walden might not have been a Times bestseller But we learned plenty from his lessons, so let me tell ya its impact on the culture will be felt, but not till 20 years after it hit a shelf. See, most people live their lives half asleep, doing what they're told, functioning like sheep. But Henry David Thoreau was determined to be different, so one day he made a life-altering decision. When the winter months close in, and the lake outside is frozen, he takes a stick and pokes holes in, just to see how deep the lake goes. 100 feet, but as it starts to get late, though, Irish workers cut cubes to take those to sell. First he's upset at all of it. Now everyone will get a piece of Walden. A crack in the roar, the ice starts thawing. Leaves turn green and birds start calling. Summertime is here, I suppose. So the Walden experiment comes to a close. A whole two years of intense self-discovery. Probably needed another year for recovery. 
But yo, he left us with lessons. Meet your life head on, be aware of your blessings. So much potential untapped. Once it's over, you can't come back. Any sort of fear or resentment will diminish when you find your fulfillment in life. Don't chase riches. Find truth. Live life to the full extent. Gotta give it 110%. Cause you only get one. When it's gone, it's gone. One of many lessons learned on Walton Pond. When the world gets you down, there's a place you can go. Back to Walton Pond like Henry David Thoreau. Living in the woods with no internet or phone. Two years, two months, two days all alone. When the world disappoints you, there's a place you can go. Marching to a different drummer, Henry David Thoreau. Living in the woods with no radio or phone. Two years, two months, two days all alone. Great to speak with Mega Ran about his influences, his dreams, his place in the culture, and everything. That was so cool. And I'm glad we could drop a little flavor, a little preview of the new record. Like I said, I'm in St. Louis tonight with MC Frenelot, Schaefer the Dark Lord, and Mega Ran. NerdcoreTour.com for tickets. And thank you everyone for supporting. Next week, we've got John S. Hall from King Missile. Now, this is crazy that I was able to talk to this guy. He came to my apartment. Um, I definitely nerded out on all of his deep cuts. And, you know, King Missile is, I would say, them and ICP are my favorite two bands of all time. And so to sit down with John and, wow, it was awesome. And he played some songs for us. And, yeah, it was just, I, I can't believe it. So that's next week. Check it out. Thanks to Mega Ran. And thanks to everyone who's come to see us this tour. It's been amazing. Hope you're all having a good week. And uh, thanks again. Please leave a review or a comment. Bye.